Hey there, and welcome to the Real Life Northside podcast. We exist to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. You can help us do that by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this podcast. Check out the description for ways to get in touch or get involved. Let's take a look at this week's message. I want to ask you a question. I got to get my table over here. Have you ever gotten fired before? Anybody in the room ever gotten fired? Yeah, a few of us have. I have as well. I, uh, I asked that question because I was reflecting back on these moments in our life that are kind of a wake-up call. Those moments where um, everything that we kind of thought was normal, uh, can you say COVID, um, is not normal anymore. Uh, these moments are really important moments for us to recognize. I was a young um, 17, 18-year-old working um, at a retail space um, that is pretty kind of nice. And I was selling shoes, and I was really good at it. In fact, I, I started um, winning kind of salesman of the month type thing, right, where I, I'm like outselling everybody in the department. And it kind of became this interesting little game inside my heart and my mind. Um, I was willing to do anything to keep winning, anybody else competitive in the room. And uh, I kind of got like trapped in this like thing of like, I got to stay on top. I got to keep outselling, outperforming. And there's this guy that was like two, three times my age that was really good as well. And he had a British accent. And so it just gave him that edge, you know, with all the people we were selling to. And I always was like, oh, I got I to gotta beat that guy. And, and, and I remember uh, just being willing to do whatever I had to do. I didn't realize it at the time, but I ended up, as I was kind of trying to keep my numbers high, I was actually stealing from the company. And that's what I got fired for eventually. And this moment was like right on the heels of I had just wrecked my car that I had like poured two years of my life into. And then to walk into work one day and security meets you at the door is not a fun feeling, right? There's these moments like this where it's just a wake-up call. And I think that Jesus in Luke 16 here is serving notice. It's time to wake up. To realize where your heart is at, what you're invested in, who you are really, what's going on inside you. There, there's a conversation that happens here. Luke 14, 15, 16. Jesus is sitting at this dinner party and there's all these Pharisees there. And you were with us the last three weeks. We walked through Luke 15 kind of three times in a row trying to understand Jesus' conversation with these Pharisees and their disdain of who he was loving and how he was serving them. And here today in 16, he turns to his disciples. And it's him telling them a story. He makes up this story, but it's a story to help them kind of realize the wake-up call that he's calling them into. And I love this, uh, this quote here. Andy Stanley says it like this. He says, the things, I'll just read it. Here it is. The things that we get distracted by are never as important as the things we get distracted from. The things we get distracted by are never as important as the things we get distracted from. I was distracted by trying to outperform, outsell, out, kind of outdo everybody in my department. And sacrificing my character, sacrificing my integrity was never on the agenda, but, but this is kind of what, what gave way as I was distracted by this lure of winning, of achieving. And I think that many of us need a wake-up call to realize where our hearts 
are getting distracted. Jesus specifically gets after money and wealth in Luke chapter 16. One of those things that is so slippery, it can easily become the thing that gets our heart and our minds and our souls when all of eternity is hanging in the balance for our friends, family, for our own lives, for our kids' lives. And the thing that we find ourselves most consumed by is not near as important as the thing we're getting distracted from, eternity. And Jesus in this story, um, I've been telling the staff all week, he's kind of swinging for the fences. So you're going to have to just go with Jesus on this and know that he cares deeply about each of your souls. And he's trying to rattle you, wake you up to how important this conversation is today. So look at Luke chapter 16, verse 1 with me. So he also said to the disciples, to his disciples, to the ones that were with him, there was a rich man who had a manager. Again, he's making this story up. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Manager finds out that employee is wasting his possessions. And he calls him and says to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be my manager. Wake up call. You're fired. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I want you to think of what Jesus is doing here. If you were with us last week and the few weeks before that, Luke 15 tells a story of a son who goes away and squanders all of his, his inheritance on this wild living. Jesus is taking kind of the central figure of this story and putting him into the exact same spot as that lost son. He is soon to be absolutely, perilously in, in dire straits, in need. What should I do? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. So I, I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 100 measures of oil. Okay, why don't you take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Wow, that's kind of dishonest, right? Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, well, 100 measures of wheat. He said, take your bill and write 80. Listen, though, verse 8, the master actually commended this dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world, Jesus says, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. People that have God inside them, the sons of light, are less shrewd, he's saying, than the, the ones that have no light inside them. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, when it fails, when money fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This is a difficult story to understand. Jesus is actually telling a story about a dishonest manager and the master is commending this dishonest manager. What is Jesus getting at here? This is what it boils down to, verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in, what, in, in which that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Bottom line, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and money. There's a temporary setting in this story with an eternal kind of point to it. Money is going away. The manager is is being removed. He's being fired. And he quickly takes that last little moment of influence and opportunity to take his master's money and leverage it for the purpose of friendship. The, The language here is people. He's taking the the money, the circumstances he's been giving, and he's investing it into relationships so that when everything comes to an end, there's an opportunity there. Jesus is showing his disciples money has a purpose, and it's not just to fulfill you in this life, but there's an opportunity with this life to have an eternal impact. But the issue that you've got to decide is which master are you going to serve? Are you going to serve money in this temporary life? Or are you going to serve God and and have the potential to see eternal people, people being changed for all of eternity with this money that I've been entrusting to you? If you can't be trusted with a little bit, then I can't trust you with eternal things. You see where, where Jesus is going with this story. Make God your master. Don't try to serve money. Money is going to be a cruel master in your life. Think about the cruelty of money. You never have enough. It's never satisfied. You you never feel content. It is always this bottomless, endless pit that you can never get to. How much do we need? Just a little bit more. And there's always this, this endless kind of pursuit of it. It is a cruel master. It will take your life. It will ruin you. Money will, will own you. It'll own your priorities. It'll, it'll own your relationships. And here Jesus is saying, hey, guys, I don't want you to miss this. You've been given an opportunity. Life is short. It's almost over. This job might be going away. Things might be falling apart, and you have no idea. This manager had no idea that his job was going to be over that day. And for this wake-up call to really settle into these guys' hearts, Jesus is like, you got to choose. Which master are you going to serve? And that is really the conversation that I think God wants us to have today in your life, is to choose your master. That's the title of this. This is the bottom line for this conversation today is choose your master. Jesus has given us that opportunity, and he's warning us through this passage to go, hey, you, you need to kind of navigate this tension that, that's always going to exist in this life. Money is a thing, Right? It's, it's how we do commerce. It's how we do life. And we need to have an understanding of how it fits and where our hearts are at and not get distracted by the thing when God has something so much more eternal and important that, that he's called us and invited us into that, that can distract money can distract us from. Remember, the thing that distracts us is never as important as the thing that we're distracted from. Choose your master. How do you do that? How do you make God your master? That's really the invitation here from Jesus. I, I love Jesus because every time he tells a harsh story like this, you're like, ah, I'm not faithful. I, I, I'm not going to be trusted with much more. It's never like a condemning moment. It's always Jesus going, hey, I want to invite you disciples into a different way. See, a disciple of Jesus is following him. We're, we're, we're submitted to his leadership, but we're also being changed by him. So these conversations are moments of, of, of transformation that he's inviting you into. What does it take from us? A soft heart, uh, ears to listen, a desire to grow, 
Not a resistance to Jesus' leadership with a decision that says, no, my way is the best way. The way I've always done things is the way that I'm going to continue to do things. But an, an honest evaluation in your heart that says, God, how do I make you my master and not allow money to rule this life in this heart? First is this, to recognize your role. If you're taking notes today, write that down. Recognize your role. Why is this so important? This servant, this, this manager, as he's called in this story, was going, was serving the master. See, one of the things that happens when you and I um, kind of get out of our lane with money is that we don't realize and recognize the role that we have, that we are called servants, that we are invited to be servants, that we are actually serving all the time. There's a problem with us as kind of independent people is we think we got our life under our own leadership, our own control, and Jesus is saying, no, there's really two masters here, money or God. You get to choose. Which one are you going to serve? You're a servant of one of these two. You decide which one. See, see, we don't like to think of ourselves as servants. I was just talking to somebody out in the lobby. I had a really hard customer service week this week. There's this Lame thing about customer service is it requires being treated like a servant sometimes, right? And serving. We don't like that place. It is difficult to be put in that place. And Jesus is going, recognize your role. You're a servant. You're not the owner. You're not the, 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 the one that's in charge here, not this master. You're the manager. See, he puts the manager as the central figure of this story to help us recognize our role. We're serving someone something constantly. When it comes to our money, I think oftentimes we're looking more for justification of how we do things and why we do things, not necessarily looking for our opportunities to grow and to learn. Jesus puts this central figure as the, of the story as a person who is soon to be in need. The wake-up call is that you don't really realize, most of us don't realize that we're serving constantly, either money or God. And just to kind of recognize our role is such a good step back. Our independent mentality and, and, and kind of nature about ourselves gets us thinking we are the ones that are actually in charge ruling these lives. Jesus going, no, you're not. You're serving somebody or something all the time. I remember, um, well, this week our team got to go to a training in, in Real Life in Idaho. And we do these trainings for church leaders all over the country where we're teaching churches how to make disciples in relationship. And... I've gotten to do a lot of these trainings over the years and help with them and lead them, and it's such a gift. I was in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, several years ago with the whole team. There's probably 20 of us that flew in from all over the country to help train a whole bunch of churches there. And it was like the end of the, the training week, a couple of days of intense training. We were celebrating over dinner together as a team. And uh, I think it was Mexican food. And, and, and um, we were having this amazing meal together. And a few of the people in the crowd uh, celebrating together, kind of hanging out together, started actually complaining and kind of grumbling about the key leader that really got this whole real-life movement started. His name is Jim Putman. And they kind of started bad-talking him and talking to him negatively about his leadership. It's easy to be critical of leadership. Welcome to 2020 and 2021, right? Critical of leadership has been our M.O., because we stand at a distance, we have no idea what's going on in their life, and we criticize from a distance, and this is what was going on over dinner. And I remember this thing just kind of hit me. It welled up within me so much so I couldn't not say something. 
But this realization of like what God has done through that man has led to these trainings and these opportunities all over the country. And you and I are just servants on this journey with this guy. And how dare we like take another bite of what you are putting in your mouth right now. You know you wouldn't be eating this if it wasn't for the guy that you're complaining about. And how, how, how easy it is for us to really lose focus of our role where we've come from, who, who we're serving, what, what capacity we have. You go from kind of this big opportunity to really kind of so inward focus. And I, I love that Jesus helps us in this story to recognize, listen, you're a servant. You're going to serve somebody or something all the time. You choose your master. Do you want a ruthless one or a gracious one? The other thing that Jesus helps us to recognize in this story, if you're going to make God your master, you've got to pick the purpose of money. If you're taking notes. Money is a thing. It's inanimate. It has no morality. It's not good or evil. To have lots of it or little of it, this isn't like a determining thing of somebody's value or worth or somebody's um, righteousness or sinfulness. No, no, no. But the purpose of money certainly does have morality what it's there for, how we use it, the motives behind it. All of that purpose is really determined by our master. And when you and I make God our master, then we have to determine that money has an eternal purpose, not a temporary one. If we allow it to just be a temporary purpose, we find ourselves serving money and serving this world. We find ourselves serving ourselves. We Remember, our role is to serve constantly. And are we Serving God with our money, are we choosing him as our master or are we allowing it to have a temporary focus and purpose? This is the temptation of our lives. This is the slide of our hearts is to allow the motivation and the reason for the money to become a temporary thing and that alone. Do we have temporary responsibilities? Absolutely. Do we have bills to pay? Yes, we do. Do we have all the things going on in our life? Yes, and none of those things are wrong or bad. But as we step back and evaluate, we go, wait a second, what is the purpose of these worldly possessions that I've been given? See, the, the, the manager in this story came to his senses. He woke up, much like the, the young, younger brother in Luke chapter 15, when, he, when he's feeding the pigs with this slop and he longs to eat this slop. He comes to his senses, the Bible says, and realizes, wow, my father has servants that are in better shape than I am. I could just go home and be a servant. Jesus putting this manager in that same spot here going, whoa, wake up. You've been serving this, this whole thing, and now you have an opportunity to pick the purpose of money and make it an eternal thing. Make it about relationships. Make it about people. Make it about lives being changed. Don't allow it to just be a thing that consumes your life. Pick the purpose of it, right? That you and I would actually be empowered today by this opportunity, this wake-up call, if you will, and go, wow, I have a chance now to pick the purpose of money and make it about eternity, investing in people, lives being changed. For you and I to recognize that, that investment in our kids is important, right? Investment in neighbors and friends and family. But people really is the focus of Jesus' kingdom. If God is our master, people are our focus. Why? Because our God loves to save. Our God loves to rescue. Our God loves to draw people to himself. He loves to heal. He loves to restore. He loves to see miraculous lives changed. And for you and I to pick the purpose of money is to invest, to put our focus and our attention and our motives on, on money becoming an eternal opportunity, not a temporary gratification of ourselves. This 
is the, this is the war right here with money in our hearts. And Jesus comes after it really at the core level. Is our money going to be leveraged to serve those in need or serve ourselves? Who is our master? As a church, we are always trying to encourage us to make God our master. One of the things that, that this really looks like is to learn financial faithfulness. I want you to write that down as a third piece here. Because as we learn financial faithfulness, it's us learning who our provider is. That the very first practice in scripture of financial faithfulness is tithing. It's giving 10% of our income. I want you to capture this. This is given to us by God. It's a practice. It's us taking finances, resources, and returning them to God. See, the Bible always talks about tithing as a return, not a give, but a return. Why? Because God owns it all, and he's entrusted it to you. And it's a statement in our heart that says, God, you are my provider you are the giver and the taker. You are the one that, that makes all of this happen, that gives me the gifts that I have, that gives me the capacities I have. God, you are my provider. And when I return to you this 10%, this tithe, it's a statement in my own soul that says, you are my master. I'm not my master. This money doesn't own me. It's not going to control my heart and my life. It's not going to dictate my priorities. God, you will. You are in charge. You are my God, Right? This is what tithing does. It gives us this reoccurring practice in our lives, a discipline to say, God, you're in charge of these finances because you provided them. And I trust your leadership and your provision more than, than, than the government, more than maybe, maybe the economy. I trust your leadership and your provision more than circumstances, the perfect job, all of these things that tend to get us super anxious financially. God, I trust you more. See, anxiety is us trying to control things we were never designed to control. And God is saying, hey, I didn't build you to carry all of this. I built you to trust me. Tithing is an opportunity for us to trust God. You're in charge. You're good. You're faithful, so I'm going to give 10%. Here's what happens. I love that it's 10% in Scripture. Jesus reaffirms it in Matthew 23. You see it practiced all throughout the Old Testament. I love that it's a percentage because it means that everybody can be involved. It's not a certain dollar amount. Think if it was a dollar amount. Man, there would be some of us in and some of us out. But if you're a teenager making 20 bucks a week or you're a salesperson making 20000 a month, 10% is still 10%. And every one of us have an opportunity to say, God, you are my provider. I didn't get this 20 bucks. I didn't get this 20 grand. God, you did, and you're in charge of this heart. Unfortunately, sometimes some of the, there's a lie that goes to tithing. When I can afford it, I will. Here's what statistics tell us. Actually, the most affluent people have the hardest time tithing because the dollar amount is so great. But the principle, when it starts to get built in at 20 bucks, it's the same principle at 20,000 bucks. And many times we wait for the 20K a month and we forget that it starts in the 20 bucks a month, Right? And it's so important to build this principle into our lives as a statement in our hearts that, God, you are my master. You are my provider. You are the leader of this life. And here's what's so cool about a tithe is, is Malachi 3 instructs us to give it to the, to the local church. To, all the tithes should be brought into the storehouse is how he says it. 
that this is the place that God has put us. When we tithe, when we give this way, it's us making a statement in our hearts and in our city that we are investing in eternity. Lives like Devon's being changed. Men like Ben being raised up, right? When you and I have an, have an opportunity like this, we go, God, you are using us. We celebrated the church plan in Ethiopia last week. Lives in Africa are being changed as you and I choose to invest in eternity. The thousands of people that have gotten baptized here over the last decade, all are an attribution to us saying, God, I put you first in my life. You are my master. You are my provider. I will tithe. Every bit of that has happened because of the faithfulness of those that have learned to tithe and say, God, you are my master. Does God need our money? No. He gave it to us in the first place. But he's saying, hey, I want to trust you with eternal wealth. Will you invest in it? Will you be faithful with this temporary stuff and leverage it for eternal purposes? Will you be one of these kind of managers that I can, that I can commend at the end of all things? Because that's really all you are as a manager. You're not in charge. Giving is another one of those financial practices that just helps us to keep our hearts soft. Generosity is above and beyond a tithe. It's moments of generosity. It's, it's flowers on a, on a friend's front porch. It's a meal for somebody. It's, it's a gift card for a thank you. It's a, it's a paying for somebody's break job or whatever it is. It's opportunities that just arise in the middle of real life that you have an, a soft heart to see. It's just some dollars and cents, but maybe it can encourage somebody for all of eternity. You see what I'm saying? Generosity is this over and above a tithe opportunities where you and I have these, these hearts to go, wow, God, how could you use these dollars to bless, help, serve, love somebody in need? These kinds of moments are moments that we have to be prepared for. God, you're my master. You're going to show me people that need some generosity. God, you're going to show me opportunities to love and serve somebody in need. See, generosity is part of us learning financial faithfulness, and it's a chance for us to keep our lives all about people. People is what this kingdom is all about. And generosity-type moments, I was thinking about this summer, we're going to start collecting shoes here in a few weeks for kids in need. You know, we've gotten to help close to 20,000 kids through one heart since it started 10 years ago. That, that means getting back to school with a haircut, and I mean a good haircut, right? And, and shoes, nice shoes. They get backpacks and school supplies and clothing. And like we're sending kids back to school with dignity. And I think about like what an opportunity we have this year to go above and beyond a tithe, to buy a pair of shoes for a kid, to supply a kid with some, some clothing or whatever that looks like, to serve at this event here late August, August 21st. These are generosity moments that just build our capacity to see people. These kids, who knows how God is going to use this moment of generosity in their life? We have no idea. But God, you've given us a heart to say, hey, it's not just about me and my money and my life. And money is not going to be my master. God, you're going to be my master. So God, here we come with a tithing, generous heart that says, God, you're in charge of this life. You are the master of this heart. I want you to just kind of stop for a moment and hear Luke 16. 13, one more time. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Is the bottom line. 
choose your master. I want you to grab that connect card I told you about earlier. Just put it in your hand, pen. And I want you to just maybe bow your head for a moment to contemplate what God's saying to you today. See, money is an evil tyrant, but God is a gracious master. See, the God that's calling us to give and to leverage money for eternal purposes is the God who sent his son to die in our place. He's not a stingy God, he's a generous God. I'll send my son for sinners. I'll send my son for the ones that rejected me. For every single one of us in the room and online that have rejected God, walked away, he still says, I love you, my grace is for you. I won't condemn you, but I'll save you. See, this is the generosity of the master that we're choosing to serve. Not a harsh God, but a loving God. Not a condemning God, but a gracious God, a God who loves to save, a God who loves to sacrifice, a God who loves to put his generosity on display, who loves to provide in your life, who loves to show you how much he loves you. This is the God that we choose as our master. See, here's what's so good about God is you don't got to like earn his love. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still rejecting God, an enemy of God, hating God, despising him as the master, he's sending his son to die in your place. The Bible says that, that this is a gift of God. This grace, this love it says I'll serve I'll sacrifice. I'll give my son so that you can spend eternity free. My hope is today that you would choose your master, that you would choose God as your master. I want you to take that card for a moment. Maybe today you're just saying yes to Jesus. You're going, God, I, I need salvation. I need freedom from my guilt and my past. Just put that on there. I need to be baptized. I haven't been baptized. That's the first step of everybody who's saying yes to Jesus. I've been distant, disconnected. I need to be around people. Put that on there. I've been making my life all about me. I need to start serving. Any prayer requests, anything. Just spend a moment praying right, right now. Respond to what God's doing in your heart. you are our master. You're the one that we choose. You're the one that we are after, God. It is your heart that we want. God, forgive us for getting so distracted by the things of this world, by money, popularity, by success, by all these temporary things, God, when you've called us to an eternal purpose, to see lives radically saved. God, your church has always had one purpose, to make these disciples, God, who are being kept for salvation for all of eternity. God, thank you. Thank you for reminding us of our purpose today. Jesus, we choose you as our master.
Thanks so much for tuning in to the Real Life Northside podcast. We hope this podcast encouraged you and pointed you closer to Jesus. Again, take a look at the description for ways to get connected or get involved. We love you.